Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. If you've been around church before, you probably have heard this passage, this idea of the armor of God that Jade just read about. This concept of putting on the armor to be equipped to stand firm in what we in the church sometimes call spiritual warfare. You may have heard that term if you've been around church. But if you haven't been around church a long time, this might sound a little strange or like something that's been made comical in modern sensibility. I give you one of my favorites, Kronk. <laughs> I love this movie. This is from The Emperor's New Groove. I highly recommend it to every human. It's fantastic. You should watch it. But I will say this. This is the, the representation of the enemy or of the devil or of the Satan that we get with the little spikes and the thing and the sitting on your shoulder and the debate. And this is how the world kind of portrays spiritual battle in a way that makes it look comical or maybe makes us be like, you're talking about the boogeyman, Melissa. Come on. That's what the world kind of sees this as. I actually think a more suitable movie reference in this conversation about spiritual warfare is The Usual Suspects. I cannot recommend that to everyone. It's a fantastic movie, but it's very violent. So I can't publicly recommend it, but it's good. Um, in The Usual Suspects, there's this character named Kaiser Soze, and you don't see him, but everyone talks about him. And even all the bad guys, the usual suspects, because they actually are the ones always doing the crimes, so they're the usual suspects. Anyway, even they are scared. They're the bad guys, and they're scared of Kaiser Soze. They tell horror stories about him, and everyone is just living in fear, but he's legendary. And someone in the movie suggests maybe he's just a myth, like somebody made up to scare children at night. And the narrator says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he does not exist. And I think in that case, Hollywood got it right. So we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of spiritual warfare, but I have to warn you in advance, you guys, I'm not going to try to convince you that spiritual realm exists. I just promised you I was going to keep this one short, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to assume that we all accept that there are spiritual forces of evil at work actively in our world. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, it is mysterious, and I certainly don't have all the answers. But I think back earlier in the letter that we've been reading. We've been going through Ephesians um, in two parts now for a while. And you might remember from the first part, Paul is talking about the hugeness of God's plan, right? And cosmic-sized language is assumed in all that we're talking about. Cosmic forces. I'm going back to chapter 1, 20 and 22. He says, um, he, the same, okay, that the power is the same as the mighty strength that he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. I bring this up as a reminder that the hearers of this letter, if we're in church, remember, we would hear this letter read the whole thing through. We already have in our mindset that we're talking about powers and dominions and cosmic scale 
work of the divine going on throughout this letter. So we are not going to start out with a question about whether or not these cosmic forces exist. We hear it from the beginning. And even though I don't have all of the answers, I can say this. We know that there is a cosmic-sized beyond that, God, I don't even have the words for that, and that the triune God is pursuing goodness, justice, mercy, flourishing, salvation, etc. And we can't live long in this world without realizing that there are spiritual battles, agents fighting against all of that. How else can we make sense of the world unless we know that all of that flourishing isn't here yet? There must be something coming against that plan. And the idea that we would brush off such forces as the boogeyman, I just feel like the devil would think that was the biggest win ever. So we have to be sober-minded and awake, alert and aware of the spiritual realm as people of the Holy Spirit, as people of God. It's just a have to. And so this is one of those mornings that we're just going to talk about this is a thing. So now what are we going to do in light of this thing that is a reality? And I remind you of this as well, getting back into the seat of the original hearers of this letter. In the ancient Near East, the concept of spiritual battle or the um, acceptance of divine and mysterious and spiritual, it was assumed. This was not like a post-enlightenment, I can't make sense of the science of it era. This is like, yeah, duh. How else are these things happening in the sky and in the world and in my life and in the soil and in harvest? Like what? Of course. They knew this and they, they actively participated in the mysterious. Sometimes I think a little bit more easily than we do. That's okay. But I'm just reminding us, like Paul does not spend any time convincing his hearers that there is spiritual warfare. They are coming from a place of, yeah, we know. He's just talking about how to be prepared in light of the reality that they face as the people of God. We want to take note of this place of this um, part of the conversation. So you know he's taken this rich, full letter of deep theological truths. He's given encouragements. He's given instruction to the church on how to live the way of Jesus in their context. And this is the topic that he chooses for his finally section. I'm going to land the plane here as a sober reminder of the battle that people face. So we're going to make a couple observations about the text, and then we're going to do something that is not like a normal sermon. There's no like big crescendo moment, like I always have a big crescendo. Do you like how I just did that? No, just kidding. There's not some big, huge, ta-da moment where your mind is blown. Like we're not going to do that this morning. What we are going to do is get really, really, really practical. So it's going to sound a little different maybe than normal, but I think in light of what we're talking about, this is really important to be practical and sober-minded in the face of spiritual realities. I'm going to start off covering us in prayer. So if you join me, Holy Spirit, you are here. We are so thankful for your presence, for your protection, and for this space where we are gathered in the name of Jesus together. Thank you that you are here. And I pray right now that you would guard us in the spiritual realm with such um, fervor that we could enter into this conversation with alertness and awareness of how you are moving and what you are longing to do. And that we would grow to practically stand, stand firm then in the victory already won. God, I pray protection not only over this space, but as everybody goes from this space with this knowledge and this awareness. Help us to be agents of peace and reconciliation in your name, Christ Jesus. Amen.
Okay, so let's look at the passage. Where Again, as Jade said, this is in 950 of, page 950 of your pew Bibles if you want to look at it in real time. Uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 10, he says, finally... Like I brought up, we always look at that because we grab a portion at a time to make it through scripture each Sunday morning, but this is all linked. So reminds us to always link with the fullness of his thought. Finally, let's back up. Where have we been? I'm going to summarize this section of where we've been for a while in chapter 5, 1 to 2. He's saying to us here, listen, all the truths of how you're rooted and established in love that we talked about, now follow God's example and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us, how we live this out in real life. Going up to verses 15 and 16, he's saying, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So he's equipping us in this present time where the spiritual forces are still at work against God's plan to live wisely and walk together. He goes on to say, do so being filled with the spirit, right? In our gatherings, we talked about this, uh, singing, mu singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Be full of the Spirit there. Be full of the Spirit in your homes as you submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, taking special, to concern, special concern to those with less power or privilege in your relationships with each other. So this is the where we've been in walking all of this out, right? And now Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he instructs us now to take our stand. So we've gone from walking it out now to what Watchman Nee has called uh, stand. Remember? So first we were seated in Christ. We need to learn how to walk it out. And now we are standing. Take your stand against the devil's scheme. And it's important, really important as we observe this sentence to see where does the strength come from? It's not from us. It's all from from God. We see this here. Be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. All of this is sourced. All of this is sourced by God as we're rooted and established in God's love, positioned in Christ, empowered by the spirit. Put this all on. The strength is all of God. He goes on to remind us that the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the piece that he reminded us in the beginning. We're talking cosmic scale here, guys, and he's reminding us that that still is where the battle is now for us. And he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, not if, when, the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after everything you have done to stand, stand firm then. He says to stand three times in just a couple of words, and that is meant to stand out to us. A couple of important points that I'll take directly from Watchman Nee here. The Greek verb stand with its following preposition against in verse 11 really means hold your ground. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's and therefore ours. We need not struggle to gain a foothold on it. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has already conquered. He's given us his victory to hold. So today we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. So this spiritual battle where you are standing is a place where you're standing from a position of ground already won. 
Stand firm is what Paul is reminding us all to do as he brings this to a close. Okay, what about the military garb? Again, remember last week we talked about this. He was taking from the culture surrounding them in pairing up those relational pairings like the philosophers did in household codes. He's doing the same thing here. This military garb was all around them um, in the place where they lived in Ephesus at this time. This uh, region was all under a, a piece of time known as Pax Romanus, which meant Roman peace, which was really a fancy way to say that everything is flourishing because we have the most military strength every where forcing peace. And so these military officers were all around walking and you knew that there was an enforcement going on. And so they were such a common sight because in his day and age, this would have been such an easy metaphor to repurpose to a spiritual battle because you would, have any of you been watching The Chosen? Or did you? I like it. I really like it. You should watch it. Emily thinks so too. Anyway, I think of the Roman officers in that. Like that's what people were walking around wearing all the time. And so he goes through and I will go quickly. He says, put on your belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, your, your footwear at the ready from the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I don't feel like I need to go into detail here. Overall, the metaphor feels clear. Be as ready and on guard as these Roman officers who are around us all the time. But you take your tools that you have because you are in Christ. The battle is real. Be ready. Clothe yourself now in the virtues you have in Christ. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul's finally part here, his landing of the plane is saying, be ready, be alert, stand firm. You have what you need to face this battle. You are in Christ. And I feel like this is like one of those active stands, right? I remember when I was younger, I'm very, very bad at tennis, but I think it's a lot of fun. And I took tennis lessons for a little while and they would tell me I had to have my, my ready knees. You know, you can't, because we'd be sitting there swinging our racket. Like I was standing, but that was not standing firm. They're like, no, ready knees. This is how you stand. And that's like the image I have in this. Stand firm, be ready, be alert, have your ready knees. As Lynn Kowick says, Paul's dynamic imagery of armor moves away from thinking about discipleship as individualistic self-improvement techniques. It, encourage, it encourages believers to think about living holy lives in the midst of storms, chaos, confusion, and intrigue. That feels more like what it feels like to be a follower in Chicago today still, right? That's what it feels like. It's a bit chaotic. And so that's sort of the stance we have. Have your ready knees. The battle is real. Be ready. Okay, so the imagery and message in this passage feel pretty clear. And our challenge, I believe, is more about coming to terms with spiritual warfare in our day-to-day. -day. So our tendency on one side of the extreme is to ignore it, to do the boogeyman thing, whatever, that's not a real thing. And we already talked about that. I don't think we can land there. I'm act in fact, I know we can't land there as followers of Jesus because we read the news. We know something is seriously wrong. We believe the Holy Spirit of God is with us, in us, acting through us, and there is clearly something going on against the flourishing of God's design. Evil is rampant. Forces are pushing, contrary 
to what God wants in the kingdom yet to come. We have to be sober-minded and see it. So we can't camp out over here in the boogeyman land. We just can't. We have to be sober-minded and be able to see it. But the other thing, and I admit this, that you see this sometimes, have you met someone who over-spiritualizes everything? Like whether the item at the grocery store was there or not is either Jesus' blessing or the enemy attacking. And I don't mean to mock, but like it gets really, really hard when it's so over the top that you're like, where is like life coming into play? So there is, there is a place like that too. And you guys, that is beyond what Paul is saying here. That's giving too much prominence, not all seriousness aside, like the enemy and the spiritual forces of this realm do not have control over whether or not bananas are in stock. It's giving them too much authority, honestly. Biblically speaking, it's giving them too much authority to oh, hyper-spiritualize. And so Paul does not allow for that either. I really love how Gordon Fee says this. He says, um, the passage doesn't allow for either. This passage takes a radical middle to take them, the spiritual forces, with dead seriousness, but also to recognize that they are a tethered foe, restrained by Christ's victory over them in the cross and resurrection. I read from a passage that we ended on last week, Colossians 2 and 15. Having disarmed the power and authority, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is a past tense historical fact that did happen, and the victory still holds. And so we cannot... We, we have to put the spiritual realm in its proper place. And so I really like that. We have a real enemy, but he is a tethered foe because of Christ. And this is where we just get really practical. And so it's just a little different, but that's okay. It's appropriate for this morning, I think. Especially, I would say this. It felt important to get really practical, number one, for people who are new to the idea of spiritual warfare. You honestly did sort of see things like this, or maybe you still do. That's okay. We can talk more. Absolutely. If you're new to this and you were kind of on the cronk shoulder image in what you would have thought of as angels and, and demons, like if that's what you thought, that's okay. If you're new to this, I want you to be convinced that there's something real to be alert to here. And it's, it's really important that we are practical in equipping you for an alertness. Some of us are alert, we're alert, kind of grew numb, things got comfortable again, and we just need to wake up and remember. Ephesians 5.14, wake up, sleeper. We want to be awake and alert to the enemy's scheme. And I say that to you to wake up, not to shame you, but to excite you back into the sober-minded awareness of what's really going on in the spiritual realm around us all the time. So we want to be practical in case this is that kind of wake up and call. So just going to give you some observations and not just of me, but some people, just this is practical. We're full practical right now. We are not facing a new enemy when we talk about the enemy in the spiritual realm. One who has been using the same tools to steal, kill, and destroy God's plans forever, John 10.10. 10. Um, my summary of this, I might be getting a little sassy here. I don't think the enemy is terribly creative. There's a couple of tricks that work really, 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 really well, and he just twists them around a little bit to message different. My summary of what the enemy does is a disruption or a distortion of God's designs. That's a really simple, if I need one filter to know what's going on in spiritual warfare. The enemy of God would want to disrupt and distort God's design. 
So herein lies our first tool for spiritual warfare, learn. We learn God's promises, God's character, God's designs, God's desire for humanity and for the kingdom yet to come and for all of creation. If something is a disruption or distortion of what we've learned about that, it's not of God. That's why it's important that we want to be learning and growing and reading and hearing truth in song and sermon and scripture. We want to be learning so that we can be aware of truth versus lie. Knowing God helps us know it's not of God. That's a really important first one. So we want to be active in learning. An observation to help us along the way is discerning the source This is what I have found personally. If you're trying to say like, I'm not sure, how do I know if this is from, uh, of God or of the enemy or whatever? How do I even know? I have an observation for you. The Holy Spirit convicts us with specificity, very specific, towards growth in the way of Jesus, okay? If the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, there will be specificity and a path of growth in the way of Jesus. That's important. The enemy tends to be very vague. Like, you should just feel bad. Like, you should just feel discouraged. It's like these blanket sweeping vague statements that sometimes work. But I feel like the enemy shames us with vagueness towards discouragement and despair. So, wholly helpful conviction versus shameful, vague discouragement. And so part of what we need to do, I'm just going to share a personal example. This is when you sometimes know more of my story than you signed up for, but that's okay. So one for me in all my life, you are not enough, fill in the blank. You are not fun enough, creative enough, uh, uh, anything, clear enough, uh, passionate enough, anything, like really anything fits in that really frustrating package of you are not enough. So that's one for me. Sometimes I've noticed that I feel like this the enemy trying to stifle my voice, discourage me from participating in whatever it is that I'm doing. But sometimes behind that message, you guys, there's my own pride. And that's the truth. The spirit can convict me when I hear that same message that something's going on in me behind the surface. So years ago, I was sharing this story recently um, in a conversation. Years ago, I was preparing for a sermon, probably like eight years ago. And I was just being crippled by like, you have nothing to say. You are not enough. And I sat there and I was like, God, is this, you have to ask, right? Is this, is this the enemy? Is this, is this the enemy trying to just silence me and make me say, I, I'm not going to do it. I, I, can't, I can't preach anymore. It's too much. Or is this my pride because I wanted so badly to make everybody think I was doing such a good job and that I was saying great words and way to go, Melissa, that I'm going to change the world with every sermon, right? Like, was it my own pride that was saying, fighting me to be more. Both were true, I think, in that moment. And so eventually, honestly, that day, I was like, you know what? I need to just stop worrying about the source and write the sermon. I'm not going to let it stop me either way. But sometimes what we have to do when we're hearing something is to go ahead and wrestle in prayer with faith that God, who wants holy conviction so we can grow in Christ-likeness, will have the Holy Spirit be specific towards growth. So wrestle in prayer. Ask clarifying questions. 
I should, I should be ashamed. Oh, I should be ashamed? Like, like of what? Oh, that conversation's coming. I was, I was not kind in that conversation. You ask clarifying questions. The Holy Spirit wants to be specific for your growth. The enemy just wants to discourage you and usually stays very, very vague. So that's just an observation for you in discerning the source. But now I would say this is really important, you guys. This work is meant to be done in community. This is not a battle that is to be fought alone. Community prayer, discernment, encouragement, support, discerning together, listening together, learning together. This whole part of scripture is about our life together. Remember that, you guys. And that includes spiritual battle. This is not one person girded up for the battle. This is a community together, ready and aware of what's going on. An example of this for me one time was so good. I was sitting in a conversation with a group of Christians and somebody was talking about how they were really struggling with jealousy and they just felt like enraged with this jealousy and it was new and they didn't used to. And another one, a person who used to be an elder here at the time, pointed out that sometimes the enemy, who again, I don't find to be terribly creative, just takes something good and tweaks it. It's not something new at all. And what had started with an honoring of the importance of fidelity in this marriage, this was a person who started out from a place of something super God-honoring. I want fidelity in my marriage to honor us as a couple is really, really important. And like the enemy just got in there and tweaked it to so, so if anyone else is around. You know, like it just got tweaked. And it took somebody else looking in on the story as they were sharing honestly about their jealousy to be able to see, let's get back to the good nugget that was there. And let's just fight against the tweak. We don't have to like toss out all wisdom here. Does that make sense? So but like it takes somebody else to hear you sometimes. And we need each other in those moments of discernment. Okay, so those are a couple of first observations. And now I want to give you three super practical tools along the way. Number one, prayer. And I don't just mean to be praying against when the attack comes. That's good. You should do that. But if you find yourself in an area of repeated attack, a spot where you tend, like that example of jealousy, like you just feel it rage up and you just know this is like partially just, this is a, a soft spot for me and the enemy knows it. If every time you experience that attack, you stop and you pray, the enemy will soon learn that this plan is having an opposite impact of what was wanted. I have a friend who once said every time she received the same attack for all of time, she was like the same messaging. She would pray for a non-believer to come to know Christ and the enemy stopped that talk track. No joke. Because that was not at all in what the plan was. And so I would say not only pray against, but be people of prayer. Be praying continuously. In part, that also is keeping you really open and discerning of the voice of God in your own life, which just equips you to know and that voice is not the voice that you meet in prayer. So prayer, prayer, prayer. You are calling on the victory already won by Jesus. You can say those words when you pray. Say, I actually am standing here in the victory already won by Jesus Christ. I've done this before, no joke. I know how this story ends. It's not good for you. Get behind me, Satan. I have done these things. And you can call me crazy, but it works to stand firm in the victory that's already won. Declare what you know is true. Just state it, and you will find you, your knees firming up as you, sta you state in prayer where you stand. Number two, scripture. Memorize it. Just a few even. Uh, put it in your back pocket. 
have it marked in your Bible next to your bed for that 3 a.m. mind game, you know that one that's so fun, that really gets debilitating, have something at the ready to pull out and state it. You can repeat it again and again. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And as one commentator said, this word can be seen as an offensive weapon that protects through being the truth, so by saying the truth, or a defensive weapon in applying that truth. Either way, the word of God is our weapon in this moment and in this battle that counters the attack. So have it in your mind, have it in your pocket, pull it out. A couple favorites of mine, since you asked. One is Philippians 4, write it on an index card. Whatever is true and right, trustworthy and noble. I sit there at 3 a.m. when I'm getting this attack of all the things that I'm just failing at and I will just say, I'm gonna sit here and instead choose. Um, Colossians 3 says, put your heart on things above, put your mind on things above. I'm gonna choose to put my, where I put my mind. Oh, the thought battle is big, but if you can control your thought life back to Philippians 4, you have made major headway, and you sit there and you say, what is something true? I'm going to state something true. Trustworthy, I'm going to state something trustworthy. Noble, all of these things, and so that's a really, really good one. If you have an active mind that has a slippery slope, like I do, to have something active that you can do in response is that scripture. And then just pick some of your favorites. And you, if you just literally are there at 3 a.m. just repeating some truth from scripture again and again, it actually is a powerful tool in moments of spiritual warfare. And then the third thing I would say is this. There is power in the name of Jesus. It's true. The enemy knows that the victory has been won and that the victory is yet to come. So some people um, who practice like um, uh, meditative breathing, that's very good for our body. And that is like Christians throughout millennia have been practicing like breathing prayers and things like that. So that's very good. And you can choose as your mantra to say the names of Jesus. You can choose to just speak that one name or you can say Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. You can just literally keep speaking because what you're doing, you guys, is you're just piling truth upon truth in a way that is impactful in the spiritual realm. Um, I'm going to close with something that Lynn said because this was, it was weird. I know it was, but I promised to stay short. And so I'm going to just close with these words that I think are important. My main takeaway this morning, you guys, the battle is real. Be ready, be alert. Know that you stand on ground. You're fighting from ground already won. And that what we get to do is be sober-minded and alert so that we can be engaged with the kingdom battles going on. And we have real impact there. And I think that that's really a beautiful thing. So my goal was to just give you some really practical things to do. And I'm going to close with this, which I think is an important reminder for us. As the early believers knew well, the armor of God does not protect against suffering nor does it preserve a believer from a painful death. The armor is not a good luck charm that keeps sadness at bay or misfortune from entering a believer's life. The armor strengthens believers as they encounter the sorrow, pain, misfortune, and injustice that characterize the present evil age. By remembering what is true, by holding to what is just, by listening to the Savior's word of peace, believers together in the church can withstand the evil forces that seek to destroy all goodness and hope. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have won the battle 
And sometimes uh, we don't love the tension of living in the kingdom being here and not yet where it hasn't all come to fulfillment yet. I thank you, Lord, that you have equipped us with the gear we need for the battles that we face, some mysterious, some seen, some unseen, uh, battles that often are waged in our mind, and we only don't see the, um, like the fruit of that, the nasty fruit of those battles until we see like huge systemic problems, and we're like, how did that happen? And it's one little moment of evil battle at a time that takes us to places that I think our world is fighting against now. So God, thank you that we're fighting. Thank you that we're seeing. Thank you that we're naming the evil. Thank you that we are doing all that we can to just bear the armor that you have given us to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy so that you could get all glory, all honor and praise. We pray protection and power in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.